Welcome nerds. It is a dark time for nerdum. Release dates for content are on the verge of being pushed back. Two nerds unite in their love for Star Wars once more to fight against the dreaded darkness. But are they too late to answer the call? Our nerds must rise together no matter what. To be the spark of hope. To entertain the masses. Mandalorians are stronger together. To celebrate a new generation of Star Wars. Anakin is gone. I am what remains. The nerds must strike back. Nerds, this will be your finest hour. Welcome to the Amazing Nerd Show. And welcome to Volume 2 of Star Wars Month. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. All right, on this week's podcast, Star Wars Month continues as we count down our top Star Wars characters of the Disney Plus era. And we also have a film review for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. And we're discussing the latest in wrestling. And if today's episode isn't enough for you, don't forget you can get even more Amazing Nerd Show content on Patreon by subscribing to our $5 tier. Doing so, you'll gain access to our Best and Worst of the Week show. Though, if you'd like even more than that, additional bonus podcasts will be available for our $10 tier that includes all of the other tiers benefits as well. That's right Christian we have over 20 best and the worst of the week episodes up and we also have better late than never reviews for things like season 2 of The Bad Batch uh, Megan and Men along with anime reviews. You can find our Patreon link in our show notes or simply type in patreon.com slash show. But all right, with that said, let's get into the news. Every week we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters, we're mere podcasters with opinions. Warning, potential spoilers for upcoming shows and movies ahead. Check timestamps to avoid spoilers. You have been warned. All right, up first, due to the ongoing writer strike, project shutdowns sweep Hollywood. As the protests continue for the Writers Guild strikes, more productions have been shut down and halted. As we mentioned last week, you can expect multiple delays are incoming after we learned of Blade getting delayed. And this story has continued into this week as we learned of Daredevil Born Again's production being shut down due to protests outside the studio. That one coming from Deadline. But another report coming from Variety claims that Stranger Things has also been halted as the Duffer Brothers have stated that it's impossible for them to continue working on the show while the strike continues. And let's be honest, there's most likely going to be more to come in the next few weeks, so expect many changes to release dates going forward if productions continue to be halted. Well, I mean, this has been a long time coming. Um, The writers have been getting screwed by the studios for years now, like ever since streaming became a thing. So, um, you know, they no longer get residuals for shows that they worked on because of streaming. they've never really like modified like how that all works you know you know before if you wrote on a show and it went into syndication you would end up getting paid every time that show would air mm-hmm. now with streaming that that doesn't happen they don't get their like you know residuals so it's becoming more and more difficult to make a career as you know a screenwriter. I mean, in the beginning, streaming was such a new thing. I think they never really figured out a way to like kind of quantify how all that would work, especially since streamers don't have to share their, you know, stats with anyone. So it's all kind of like fuzzy math. But basically, the studios have been getting away with like highway robbery, like ever since. 
So, I mean, they've had plenty of time now to figure out exactly how all this should work, and they've just chosen not to. So, I mean, the writers are just doing what they should and standing up for themselves. I mean, all they're really basically asking is to be able to make a living, you know, doing their craft. Um, I don't think that's too much to ask, especially since this is like the brain trust, like the creative force behind like all these shows. <laughs> Along with the fact that it would probably only take a fraction of oh. a percent of what they make on those shows I mean, to you know pay these guys. Do you know how many subscribers Netflix has? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> come on, give me a break. I mean, they're asking for like a small percentage yes so i mean hopefully in the long run the studios do what's right and you know the writers actually get what they deserve um i just have a feeling that they're gonna have to twist the studio's arm you know a little more before that actually happens mm. and if that means we have to suffer you know through some delays it is what it is honestly well, moving right along, it looks like we have a potential filming start date for the upcoming Fantastic Four film. Even in the middle of this strike, Disney Marvel is still pushing forward as THR this week claims production for Matt Shakeman's uh, Fantastic Four could begin as early as January of next year, which coincides with earlier statements from the director about production starting early next year. Of course, this all still depends on how long the strike goes on for, but the film still has a set release date of February 14th, 2025. Yeah, like logistically, I don't know exactly how all this works. Like if they already have a script, I I'm guessing they can still move forward. They just can't get rewrites. So I I'm guessing this could actually happen. But at the same time, they're still pretty far away from that target start date. So I can't imagine them not running into like some kind of script issue between like now and then. Um, yeah. But I, once again, like I'm not sure like 100% exactly how all that works out like logistically. It just really feels like Disney is gambling that this is going to end as soon as possible. And I, I just don't see that coming at all. Yeah, it sounds like they're still pretty far apart, you know, both parties. Mm -hmm. So. We'll see. I mean, studios don't like to lose money. And I mean, things have just kind of finally gotten like back on track after COVID. So they might be a little more willing to budge than they would have, you know, a couple years ago. Mm -hmm. Well, moving on, we've got some bad news for Disney Plus subscribers. This one coming in from Deadline says Disney has some big plans for its two streaming apps, Hulu and Disney Plus. As of their recent earnings call, CFO Christine McCarthy explained to investors that they are making strategic changes in their approach to content creation and will be reviewing and removing content on the Disney Plus service. This will later be followed up by Disney merging Hulu and Disney Plus into one app by the end of the year. It wasn't stated what content would be removed, but I have to imagine it will be things of lesser value like older Disney Channel projects that probably don't get viewed as much, which means I probably need to watch Xenon Girl of the 21st Century before it becomes unavailable. Yeah, it looks like a lot of the major streamers are starting to like recalibrate like exactly how they are formatting their services now. Um, instead of just throwing everything up there and, you know, so I don't know. I mean, yeah, you might be right on one hand where they m might try to lease out some of their, you know, less popular, you know, shows or, you know, films, but that's not what's going to bring in the money. Right. I mean, look mm -hmm. what HBO max is doing right now. They really stripped that service for parts 
um they took a lot of major content off of you know that channel so i am a little worried that disney plus is going to kind of follow that model in the in the long run so i can see a situation where like an mcu film hits another channel for a small window of time before Mm. coming to like disney plus um you know, I don't think anything's out of the realm of like possibilities right now, especially if they want to keep on, you know, making original content like all these like MCU series and Star Wars series that go straight to Disney Plus. Um, that shit's pricey and it doesn't seem like they're slowing down at all, even though they were, you know, at least I mean, the rumor was that they were going to. Um, mm-hmm. But we keep on hearing all these other rumors basically stating otherwise, you know, with, you know, new possible shows on the horizon. Yeah, I think it's interesting that, like, you know, what we're seeing with, you know, HBO Max barely having all the, like, properties um, that Warner Brothers used to own. Like, I just saw Justice League, the animated series, uh, was showed up on Netflix. I was like, oh, I'm surprised that this isn't something that they would want just there. But it makes sense if they're trying to, you know, lease it out and make money off of it in other places. That's that's fine, I guess. But I don't know. I, I feel like Disney would still want to keep that, like, hoarding mentality, especially when they're building such a big um app now with hulu and disney plus becoming one thing well it could also be a situation where they have their cake and eat it too you know where like i said you know they lease it out for a brief period of time you know where you can only see it here and then after a while it comes to disney plus so i mean there's a lot of different channels and streaming apps that would pay top dollar to you know get those eyes on you know their service you know with the new you know spider-man film if you will Mm -hmm. well up next it looks like we have an update on the latest witcher live action spinoff while season three may be the send-off for lead actor henry cavill Netflix still has plenty of big plans for the Witcher franchise, as a rumor from Redanian Intelligence claims a spin-off about the Rats gang is set to start production. It's believed that the Rats will be introduced in Season 3 prior to the series starting, where we will meet some of the cast portraying them. People aware of the Rats gang know of them for their you know more controversial moments in the source material, as a few members were abusive, to say it lightly, to Siri. As Netflix has had a history of changing things to fit their own narrative it's unclear how faithful they will be to this storyline along with the fact that there is no release window just yet for this project but season three begins this year on june 29th well it looks like we also have an update on the highly anticipated beetlejuice sequel with tim burton on to direct the sequel to beetlejuice deadline reported on rumors that the film could be coming september 6th next year with jenna ortega set alongside michael keaton returning to the role of beetlejuice joining them will also be renowned actor Willem Dafoe who will apparently be playing an undead cop in the film but it's unclear if the role is going to be a cameo or an ongoing character throughout with filming having started this week in London well last but not least it's definitely a very slow news week it looks like a new Blair Witch movie might be in the works Production Weekly claims Oliver Park, director on 2022's The Offering, is set to direct a new Blair Witch sequel. No word if this you know, ties in at all to the 2016 film, but all we know is that this is continuing to be made for Lionsgate film. Not even... We're not even sure who you know is on as a producer just yet. Only Oliver Park's name has been mentioned alongside the film. So as more details come out, we'll make sure to keep you guys updated on this new Blair Witch project. 
So I'll be totally honest, like I completely forgot the last Blair Witch movie was even a thing. I was actually excited for that film at the time, you know, before it came out because Adam Wingard, who was coming off of uh, Your Next, I believe, uh, was, you know, directing the film. So and it definitely didn't live up to the hype, at least in my mind. <laughs> Uh, because obviously I totally forgot about it once again. So I don't know. I don't know. Um, so I don't know. Like, it just feels like ever since the first film, they've been trying to like recapture that magic and, and it's just hard to catch lightning in a bottle twice. I mean, the Blair Witch was a true like phenomenon. Like it was an event that like truly like penetrated the social like zeitgeist. So I, it's just, it's something that's hard to like really recapture. Mm. Um, and I know a lot of people, a lot of people, and rightfully so, weren't a fan of what they did with the sequel. Um, I think it's Book of Shadows. Um, I mean, I'm not a found footage, like, hater at all. And I do believe, like, when it's done right, it's, you know, incredibly uh, effective. But at the same time, like, I don't think what people understand is, like, when the first Blair Witch, you know, film came out, like the magic behind that movie was like people actually believed that it was real at mm -hmm. the time. So, I mean, I mean, people have seen the man behind the curtain at this point. So, I mean, the magic is just kind of gone. So for them to try to reboot that story, it feels like they're going to have to do something drastic to really like freshen it up. Because uh, let's be honest, like not not much really happens in that first movie. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, and I'm not saying it's not like possible, um, but I don't know, like people haven't been able to do it so far. Um, and like, trust me, it's not due to a lack of trying, because once again, that movie was pretty much an instant classic. Um, and I know it has tons of haters nowadays, but like, I didn't believe it was real, but I did think it was a damn good horror film. Yeah. I don't know if they're ever going to make something, you know, that feels as authentic, at least as the original Blair Witch. Like, I imagine if they tried to make something like that today, it would have to be like, you're just watching someone's cell phone screen on the movie, you know, like they're trying to make it a more Which modernized version. They pretty much have done that too at this point. So uh -huh. it's going to be basically <laughs> a snuff film. So it's not, exactly. you know, you're going to get into like faces of death territory and no one really wants that. So, hmm. um, I mean, it is what it is. Um, I mean, Blair Witch did end up kicking off this huge, like found footage subgenre that kind of took over horror for a long period of time. Um, and I think at the end of the day, that's really going to be its legacy. Um, and it's not like Blair Witch was the first, like, found footage horror film. I mean, Cannibal Holocaust exists. So, um, you know, it just kind of was like uh, a situation of, like, the right time in the right place. Like, you know, with the internet becoming, like, a thing and everything, there's all these different websites you know, popping up. And I mean, the marketing team just did a fantastic job of taking advantage of the internet in its infancy. I mean, it's just a moment of time that will be really hard to duplicate. And now for the nerds review of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, light spoilers ahead. And now our feature presentation. My sacred mission is to create the perfect society. He 
didn't want to make things perfect. He just hated things the way they are. Still reeling from the loss of Gamora, Peter Quill rallies his team to defend the universe and one of their own, a mission that could mean the end of the Guardians if not successful. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 is directed by James Gunn and stars Chris Pratt, Zoe Saldana, Bradley Cooper, and Dave Bautista. I swear Gunn consistently produces films that just feel tailor-made for an audience member like me. And Guardians of the Galaxy 3 is yet another incredibly enjoyable picture from him that delivers on every promise made from its trailers and promotional material. The third installment for Guardians picks up in a similar place as the holiday special, with Quill drowning his sorrows after losing Gamora, while the rest of the team is, you know, here trying to keep nowhere afloat as their HQ. Of course, their past mistakes continue to haunt them as Aisha of the Sovereign sends her newly created perfect man to hunt them down, and seemingly capture Rocket for some reason. While the Guardians are able to stop Adam Warlock from taking Rocket, Rocket does take a near-fatal wound that the group isn't able to simply you know, heal with a med pack, protected by its manufacturing code. This leads to the Guardians having to call in help from the Ravagers as they go on a hunt for the code that will save Rocket's life, all while being hunted by Rocket's maker, the High Evolutionary, as played by Chikuti Iwuji. Not being a big fan of the High Evolutionary in the comics, I found Iwuji's performance as our main villain to be one of the best we've seen from our MCU villains since Thanos. One of the things I always compliment Gunn on is his ability to pace a film with a large cast while managing to give everyone enough time, and because of that we spent enough time with the High Evolutionary to give his actions more weight than what we've seen with a lot of the you know recent MCU villains. This was definitely you know up there for me in performance wise as we got with characters like the Mandarin and Namor, but you know, he got even more time to shine, and that's what really made him stand out. Rocket is absolutely the star attraction of this film, though. His story wasn't something I was, you know, particularly looking forward to based off of clips that we were given before the film's release, but the flashback sequences and overall origin story pulls hard on the heartstrings and ended up being a more welcome sequence for me in this film. I honestly feel like uh, the only character I didn't care too much for was Adam Warlock, as his plotline just felt like a big waste of time, especially for a character that they built up in the previous film. While, you know, there is an in-story reason for why he isn't 100% the Adam Warlock we know from the comics, he just felt, you know, like such a throwaway character compared to everyone else, which was very surprising because how well-rounded all the other characters seem to be with their story arcs. Because I have to say, like I always do with Gunn's films, each character just got enough time. Even our side characters in like Kraglin and Cosmo felt like they had a rewarding enough story. And without getting into you know any big spoilers here, I do have to say that third act was one of the most satisfying MCU sequences we've gotten in the last couple years, and it definitely ranks up with the team-up sequence between the Spider-Man in No Way Home for me. You know, it was just a good example of a fully realized team being just as badass as they can be, which also felt like a perfect crescendo to what had been you know boiling up throughout this entire film through all their more emotional arcs. And I know Gunn and company knew what they were doing with a lot of like the moments that we got with putting our heroes in danger, knowing that this was the third film. They really play with you on who is going to get hurt or who's going to make it to the end, while also giving us a you know incredibly memorable villain 
to finish out this trilogy altogether. This in the end is what I go to the theaters for, and with that said, I will be giving Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 an A-. Star Wars Month Countdown Initiating now counting down the nerds' top five Disney Plus Star Wars characters. All right, for this week's countdown, as we continue to celebrate Star Wars Month, uh, we're choosing to count down our top Star Wars characters of the Disney Plus era. What does that exactly mean? Well, Christian, the criteria is simple. This has to be a Star Wars character that made their on-screen debut on Disney Plus. So right off the bat, obviously, all the films are disqualified from this list. Yes. That also disqualifies <laughs> Rebels and most of Clone Wars, um, except for the final season, uh, because this, the final season was on Disney+. Plus. So that actually is still in the mix. But pretty much everything else is fair game. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get into our countdown. Christian, do you have any honorable mentions? Um, I'm going to say... Reva um, from the Obi-Wan series, uh, Dedra Miro from Andor, and then uh, Grogu uh, from... Uh, yes, we know. We know where Grogu's from, Christian. <laughs> yeah, the Mandalorian. <laughs> and that's Din Grogu to you. Um, Din Grogu. I'm going to go uh, Paz Vizsla, and okay. I'm also going to go with Luthen from uh, Andor. But anyway, I'll go ahead and kick things off with my number five pick. Black Chrysanthemum. And in return, I will wipe your debt off the books. This gladiator turned bounty hunter turned muscle for Boba Fett plays as a dark reflection of Chewbacca. Loyal, terrifying, and cool as all hell. I'm hoping the next time we see Boba on the screen, it's with his loyal Wookiee at his side. Yeah, it sure would be a shame to not have Black Chrysanthemum in uh, whatever movie uh, they're making for the finale of all this. I definitely feel like he's got a lot more arms to tear off, right? <laughs> so Absolutely. <laughs> Hopefully we get to see that sooner than later. For my number five, I went with the Armorer. Only those that walked the way escaped the curse prophesied in the Creed. Though our numbers were scattered to the winds, our adherence to the way has preserved our legacy for the generations until we may someday return to our homeworld. Oh, thank God. I thought you were going to say, like, Polymato or something. <laughs> no. I can't or stand here either. Sid. Don't worry. <laughs> Just to be a bastard. But you know me, I'm all about crafts, so I had to put, you know, the armor on my list. Not only is she making all the great armor for all these people, but she's also a badass, as we found out in this past season. We've seen her now flying through the sky, just beating the hell out of people with a hammer. <laughs> so how could I not put her on my list? Um, plus, all the things with the mystique behind, you know, their religion and everything, and learning about most of Din Djarin's, you know, history through her character has been very interesting to watch on screen each and every season it's not the hammer that kills me every time she goes into battle it's the tongs that she, <laughs> that uh <-huh>. she, <laughs> she also has you would think that she like willed herself something a little cooler but it is what yeah. it is i mean she still takes care of business with them but still it's like come on how about a sword or something maybe like a blowtorch like the other hand could be a blowtorch kind of from the forge that's not a bad idea that would be badass i mean fire is always cool i mean for an armorer she does have a very limited arsenal which is kind of weird right yeah 
You think she'd be just building shit left and yeah, right. But, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, for my number four pick, I chose Fennec. He wants you to pay him. What? I'm the crime lord. He's supposed to pay me. Shall I kill him? As Boba Fett's right hand and concierge, she's a force to be reckoned with, especially when it's time to get her hands dirty and hang some motherfuckers when needed. All right, for my number four, I have Moff Gideon. If you're asking if you can trust me, you cannot. Just as you betrayed our business arrangement, I would gladly break any promise and watch you die in my hand. The assurance I give is this. I will act in my own self-interest, which at this time, involves your cooperation and benefit. I don't think there's a project that I don't like John Carlo in at all, so no wonder that he would be great in fucking Star Wars. But his role as our main bad has been pretty awesome. He's very conniving, very fucking self-centered, and you know, and at the least entertaining. But I do wish we had gotten a little bit more of him in these like last two seasons. Uh, just because I feel like we won't see him at least till the very end. If he does come back, I do. I don't feel like he's dead <laughs> at all. <laughs> I hope they don't go that route, you know, and it, uh -huh. and like who we saw die was just a clone or something. Um, well, that would be a shame yeah. too, but we do have clones to play. Around oh, absolutely. With. <laughs> I mean, it's totally a loophole they could use. So. Just as long as he's not the one to kill Thrawn, uh, that would be a real shame. Oh, I don't know. I don't foresee that happening at all honestly after the shadow council episode um you know this season of the mandalorian i really thought they were setting up a scenario where we would see thrawn return by killing you know gideon yes um at the end mm -hmm. of the season especially after gideon was seemingly questioning thrawn and you know his impending return so for my number three pick i chose crosshair why they put me in charge it's because I'm willing to do what needs to be done. Good soldiers follow orders. A master assassin with ice in his veins, Crosshair is the real reason why I fell in love with the Bad Batch series in the first place. Um, he's just the living embodiment of Order 66 following orders, even at the price of his own humanity, to the point where he ultimately betrays his own family on the name of the Empire. Because we all know, good soldiers follow orders. Uh, for my number three, I went with Luthen. What is my, what is my sacrifice? I'm condemned to use the tools of my enemy to defeat them. I burn my decency for someone else's future. I burn my life to make a sunrise that I know I'll never see. Now, the ego that started this fight will never have a, a mirror or an audience or, or the light of gratitude. So what do I sacrifice? Everything! I remember watching Andor thinking that Luthen had Andor's best interests at heart. But as we you know got through the series further and we saw just how far Luthen was willing to go and you know even the fact that he was willing to assassinate Andor for the betterment of the cause just made him a more exciting character to watch each and every single week. And just that monologue alone where he had to you know convince a guy, well not convince, pretty much tell him, hey, you're gonna work for the uh, rebellion and or die was just one of the best moments of the show for me. You know, it really brought out just how dark, you know, the rebellion can be and you know what they had to do to really kick things off in the infancy of the empire. You know, even making things, you know, worse conditions for people 
just so that they can get everyone on their side. I just thought that was a very compelling and interesting way to take this show and, you know, the Star Wars universe as a whole. And that's all done through Luthen's character. No, I mean, I agree. Luthen is a fascinating character and I can't wait to see what the second season of Andor has in store for him. I mean, this is a person who sold his own soul and, you know, is willing to sell everyone else's soul around him, uh, you know, all in the name of the greater good. Hopefully. <laughs> what, now you don't believe in the rebellion? You imperial hey, dog. As we're seeing right now, they're they're falling just into the same traps as the well, Empire almost. It's still better than <laughs> a, a Death Star destroying planets, though. <laughs> they're not committing genocide. True. Well, Christian, Moff Gideon also made my list, uh, but... He's at number two. You're sparing my life. Well, this should be interesting. Never has there been a truer villain. Uh, from the pain and suffering he brought the people of Mandalore to the fact that not even his fellow Imperials seem to trust him. It just really tells you all you really need to know, right? Um, he's a villain's villain. I mean, this is a man who's so arrogant, so self-consumed that he chose himself as a template for his clone army. I mean, come on, that, that's just next level. Yeah, I mean, who's more perfect than you, right? <laughs> I say that for every day. For a dark Christian. trooper armor? <laughs> <laughs> but for my number two, I actually have uh, Fennec Shand, which was your number four. So we kind of just swapped numbers there uh, as far as people went, yeah. If you wish to continue breathing, I advise you to weigh your next words carefully. I mean, as you said earlier, from Bad Batch to now Book of Boba Fett, I mean, she has been a badass character throughout all these different shows on Disney Plus, which is which and is the Mandalorian and the That's Mandalorian. Where she yeah. debuted. You know, even giving a character like the Mandalorian a hard time as well when we first uh, actually met her. So, I mean, it's just been nonstop. And seeing her assassin skills in Book of Boba Fett made her such a standout character in all of Star Wars. And that's another person, like we said, with Black Chrysanthemum that I do hope that we see more in the future of. At least if there's not going to be a Book of Boba Fett season two, at least maybe in that final movie, like I mentioned earlier. Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty safe to assume that if you know, we don't get another season of Book of Boba Fett. We're going to see her in another series or, you know, once again in that film, um, you know, because it is supposed to like, you know, tie everything together. So mm -hmm. it would just only make sense because I think, you know, fans have really like taken to her and rightfully so. All right, Christian. So I have a funny feeling we both have the same number one pick. Uh, my number one pick is none other than Mando Dingeron. These people are counting on me. Okay, then. We'll both die in the name of honor. You sure you want to stay? This is the way. The stoic bounty hunter with a heart of gold. He's the linchpin, really, of this new era of Star Wars. I mean, he's Clint Eastwood in Beskar, goddammit. Uh, a man with the creed that you want on your side at the gates of hell. I mean, for me, watching his journey with Grogu at his side has been some of the best Star Wars storytelling bar none. And at the end of the day, I, I really do feel like he helped get the franchise back on track after the botched sequel trilogy. And that's why I had to put him at number one on my list. Yeah, obviously Mando was my number one as well. The Mandalorian really did take me by surprise when it you know, first aired. It, it's, it's that perfect type of Western adventure uh, 
slash samurai flick that I, of course, would love. Um, everything that we've been able to see with stuff like the Darksaber, you know, getting to learn more about the Mandalorian Creed, uh, even getting to revisit old characters like Ahsoka and, you know, Bo-Katan have been massive highlights for Disney+. Plus. It's, you know, what made doing this list so hard was because a lot of these characters that we've gotten to see are characters that are from, you know, previous shows and movies. But either way, you know, Din Djarin has been one of the most fun things to come out of Disney Star Wars as a whole. Well, that does it for now. Make sure to join us next week as we continue to celebrate Star Wars Month with another countdown. And don't forget to let us know what your favorite character was from Disney+. Plus. And now a quick word from our sponsor, Manscaped. This is a public service announcement. Manscaped now has beer products and is going even further with their brand new Weed Whacker 2.0. Go ahead and tell the world the leaders in below the waist grooming are traveling north of your South Pole with their revolutionary grooming products. The new Weed Whacker 2.0 and their new beard line confirms they have all the best tools for your hygiene toolbox. Time for you to upgrade your game by going to manscaped.com and using our code 20NERDSHOW for 20% off plus free shipping. Listeners know that there's no one I trust more with my nutsack than Manscaped. So why not trust them with my beard also? So allow me to introduce you to the Beard Hedger Pro Kit. It's the ultimate package that makes it easier than ever to craft your signature look. It all starts with the cordless electric beard hedger. The beard hedger is tough on hair but smooth on your face, leading to single stroke efficiency that brings satisfaction one stroke at a time, just like your mother. <laughs> this waterproof cordless trimmer has a rotary wheel that gives you 20 hair cutting lengths, all with one guard, so no more messy drawers full of extra add-ons. The Pro Kit also comes with four dermatologist tested formulations for your post-trim care. This includes Manscaped's beard shampoo and conditioner, beard oil, and beard balm to moisturize, style, and shimmer your new beard. Plus, the kit has three gifts, a beard brush, a comb, and scissors. So with a nice beard, your face is perfectly groomed, right? Wrong! You need to keep an eye out for those tough-to-trim ear and nose hairs. The brand new Weed Whacker 2.0 offers improved blades and skin-safe technology with virtually no tugging. It's never been so painless to mind your manhole. Now that you have your face looking great, you must try Manscaped's Performance Package 4.0 for the full body grooming experience. Good news though, the Performance Package 4.0 now comes with the Weed Whacker 2.0 and all the other below the waist grooming products Manscaped is known for. Your significant other will be delighted to see you covering all bases, if you know what I mean. So listeners, get 20% off and free shipping with our code 20NerdShow at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and make sure to use our code 20NerdShow. Always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. And now it's time for Christian's Corner. Got a couple updates in the world of gaming this week. First up, we have an open beta for Street Fighter VI on its way. They'll feature some updates since their closed beta back in December. This open beta will be available from May 19th to the 21st, and you'll be able to play the beta with several of the announced characters for the game online in ranked and casual mode types with open tournaments and more. Capcom also touted that the open beta will feature cross-platform play. Having played the demo myself, though, um, the game seems solid and looks the best it ever it ever has. 
though as someone who's taken a bit of a step back from fighting games in general i was surprised that street fighter continues to have you know very little voice acting in it this is a common thing across fighting games but it just felt weird to start a story mode pick my voice and then not hear it outside of you know the fights that were happening but that's more of a nitpick than anything the core element of the game the fighting was smooth as hell i'll definitely consider trying out the open beta um, that weekend on may 19th but along with that we also got an update on the asus uh, rog ally as it has officially been announced that it will launch on june 13th of this year with a price point at 699 for the resin extreme chip a non-extreme uh, chip will be available later this year uh, but will cost about $100 less at $599. Uh, this console is slightly beefier than its competitor the Steam Deck but the Steam Deck is slightly cheaper as it is about I think $50 less at $649. But even looking across both systems, you know, you know, specs here, I don't think there's much of a big difference that you're going to notice across playing. While yes, the ROG should be, you know, a bit faster. I don't think if you were to pick up a Steam Deck and then pick up an Asus ROG that you're going to feel that huge difference. But, you know, I might just have to wait and see, you know, some people doing some gameplay comparisons on both consoles. Because I am fascinated by these companies really starting to get into the handheld business, especially after, you know, the massive success of the Switch. But I wasn't sure how much, you know, these consoles were actually selling. Um, apparently, the Steam Deck has just recently, this past month on the April 10th, I think it was reported, that it actually surpassed 3 million um, units sold. So people are obviously buying these things. But I haven't really seen it out in the wild myself or known anyone to actually pick one of these up. At the same time, um, Nintendo is actually preparing for, you know, their console sales to be a little bit lower this year, even with the release of Zelda coming out this week. But as these companies continue to compete with one another, we'll see just how much of an impact, you know, these handheld devices can be in the gaming world. Um, as far as the streaming side of our show, I will not be live this weekend as I am being dragged out of town for Mother's Day, but I am planning some makeup streams for the upcoming week, and I still have yet to try Redfall and need to put more hours into Jedi Survivor as well. So stay tuned for more streams in the near future. As I've said live on stream, my schedule is going to be a little bit more lax this year. Hopefully things will get you know back to normal and we'll be able to stick to our schedule. For now, I'm going to be streaming when I can more than actually just streaming those four days you know mandatory so while i might not be live every single weekend that doesn't mean that i'm stopping anytime soon so make sure that you're following us over there on twitch and also check out at amazing nerd live on twitter for updates on the twitch side of our show but with that said let's move on to wrestling nero welcome back to dynamite what brings you back here tonight All right, Christian, so unfortunately, we don't have tons of time for wrestling this week, uh, but we did want to briefly touch upon all the rumors swirling around AEW and their big announcement next week. So it's being reported by Wrestling Observer's Dave Meltzer that on May 17th at the Warner Brothers Discovery Upfronts, they're going to go ahead and announce not only the AEW Collision show, but also a brand new TV rights deal. He went on to say that the amount of years and the money involved is still unknown, but all signs point to a new deal being done, especially since Warner Brothers just signed up for another show from AEW. So there are a lot of rumors that AEW could be making upwards towards like a billion dollars on this deal, um, which is just insane. 
Um, it would be a huge, huge increase over their uh, last deal. Um, but those are just rumors right now. So uh, we'll have to just wait and see what the announcement entails. But um, it definitely seems like a game changer, regardless. I mean, this is the one time of late where Tony Khan came on screen during Dynamite. Uh, and I truly believe that he actually had a huge announcement, you know, in yes. store for us. <laughs> and not saying at all that Wembley wasn't a huge announcement because it, it does sound like tickets are still selling quite well. Um, but man, I mean, this this is, like I said, game changing um, if all of it's true. So there are other reports that, you know, they won't be announcing the TV rights deal at the upfronts. Um but even if that's the case, it definitely seems like there's some kind of deal in place because, because as of right now, AEW has been forced to stop airing Dark and Elevation on YouTube because of some like WBD exclusivity uh, agreement, which also adds a lot of credence to another rumor that's been swirling around that, you know, AEW is now going to be featured on Max. So, mm-hmm. um I don't know. I don't know. Because, I mean, we still don't even know where the Wembley show is going to be airing. That's not a pay-per-view right now. So, and at this point, they would have announced it as a pay-per-view, I'm yeah. sure of. So, so you got to think either it's going to air on, like, you know, TBS or, you know, it's going to be, like, some kind of, like, max, like, special I mean, event. I would love to see AEW do something similar to what WWE was doing with Peacock and we get more pay-per-views on you know, like a streaming service, just because it's, you know, it's more accessible for us. But but it would be pretty awesome to get a lot of their catalog there as well. You know, you get something like you get to maybe play around with it more, not rely so much on the YouTube side um, to use for AEW content. Yeah, I mean, and that sounds like what the plan is actually right now mm-hmm. that, you know, they're not going to be, you know, making original content for YouTube anymore. All that original content is going to go straight to Max. And if that price tag is right, if it is a billion dollar deal, you got to figure that, you know, that probably is some kind of like all encompassing deal where, you know, where you'll also see pay-per-views now featured, you know, on the streaming service. You know, with a billion dollars, a lot of those wrestlers are about to get some fun themes. (laughs) (laughs) I hope you're right. I hope you're right. Uh Um, I guess also Meltzer confirmed today that Will Ospreay will be part of the all-in show, which only makes sense, you know, since it's at Wembley. Uh, a lot of people are expecting to see a rematch from Wrestle Kingdom with, you know, Osprey versus Omega um, on the show, which, you know, would be a pretty huge match. And it actually mm-hmm. brings me to a theory I have um, after watching uh, Don Callis this week betray Omega. Um, a lot of people are speculating that Takeshita is going to end up turning heel and, you know, aligning himself completely with Callus, you know, being Callus's kind of like new chosen one. But I think that's kind of smoke and mirrors. I think it's actually going to end up being Osprey. Um, oh. Just hearing how Callus is kind of fond over Osprey in, you know, mm-hmm. past interviews and everything like that. I could totally see a situation where Callus now sees Osprey as the new chosen one. Um, and that's why he betrayed, you know, uh, Omega at the end of the day. You know, I don't think he's aligning himself with the Blackpool Combat Club at all because that would just be a weird fit. 
Um, and, you know, the Combat Club, they don't need a mouthpiece, right? I mean, even uh, Regal mm-hmm. at times felt a little redundant, right? So, um, yeah, I, Mox and Brian are exactly. Fine I mean, they own. can do all the heavy lifting <laughs> when it comes to the promos, right? Um, but yeah, I could see at first where they kind of tease that it's going to be like Takeshita or, you know, he's kind of like this in-betweener where he's being just misguided by, you know, Callus, but then eventually, you know, his, you know, Callus's full master plan, you know, gets revealed and it's all about, you know, backing Osprey against Omega. So, um, and it, I mean, they both hinted. Uh, you know, after the Wrestle Kingdom match, that that was going to be the first of many outings between the two. So, um, you know, I could definitely see it being like a trilogy this year or something. But speaking of the big turn that happened on Dynamite, uh, what did you think of the match? You know, it definitely gave me more than I expected, which I shouldn't have been too surprised by. But I didn't see the cage, you know, coming open. I didn't see like... Um, Don Callis's turn during that moment, at least. You didn't see uh, Kenny point, almost like tear his leg off. Uh, yes. Yeah, oh my God. Through the fucking cage. <laughs> that looked horrible. It's like, oh my God, mm-hmm. Omega's on the shelf again. Like, yeah, especially with the replay. I mean, there's awful. no way he could not have injured himself, you know, doing that. I mean, the way he landed just looked horribly like awkward and painful. <laughs> So, um, I love the match. I mean, I loved everything with, you know, the barbed wire and the chair. I mean, just watching them tear their backs to shreds, you know, throughout the match. Um, God damn. It was good stuff, man. Funny enough, my favorite spot was uh, when Moxley actually threw uh, Kenny into the camera. (laughs) I mean, do you think like historically, you know, speaking that mox versus omega is aw's top feud funny enough while i was watching them do that whole promo package beforehand i was like yeah this feels like they're like rock austin you know as as far as aw goes for right now yeah yeah no 100 percent. i agree with that because i mean that's basically how they started the company right was revolving mm-hmm. around that feud right that was their first major feud yes um on dynamite so, um, you know, and it's had tons of ups and downs. I mean, the explosive fucking <laughs> barbed wire match. <laughs> barbed wire death yeah, match. But, yeah, but listen, you know, the match itself was fine. It just felt like a dud because of the way, you know, it ended. I mean, they always have bangers in the ring. I mean, you think about it, like Omega's like major heel turn happened against Moxley and, and Don Callis was involved. So, I mean, this is kind of all full circle. Also, uh, we finally got to see Miro on screen for the first time in I don't know how long now, along with Thunder Rosa. They both showed up um, right before the announcement. It seemed like they were trying to angle that they might both if if they're doing the collision like announcement next week, that they would both be going to that show. Yeah, I still hope it's a soft, you know, brand split and it's not Mm -hmm. some weird draft situation because I just. Man, I I fucking hate drafts at this point. WWE has just beat that gimmick into the ground and made it uh feel so unimportant, which honestly, I don't know if I could really bring myself to, you know, invest in another draft situation. Um, They just never work out in the long run because like what Booker doesn't want his full roster at his disposal on any given show. 
Um, it just feels like you're handcuffing yourself for no reason whatsoever. But I do yeah. agree. I do feel like that's kind of what they were teasing with, you know, Miro and Thunder Rosa, you know, showing up, um, you know, and it worked, honestly. Um, it got people talking. It got people excited. Um, both are, you know, two phenomenal wrestlers that, you know, have been sorely missed, I believe, in the ring. So um, I just don't want to see them like kind of, you know, regulated into like one show. I just feel like that would be totally short sighted. I also hope it's not a situation like what we saw or at least what we've been hearing about with CM Punk with Thunder Rosa between her and. Um... Well, I think that's why they use Thunder Rosa there. You know, because hmm. they're playing into that whole, you know, rumor. Okay. Yeah, with DMD, whatever. And I guess on the um, All Access show, the AEW's reality show, like a lot of the show has been kind of revolving around Thunder Rosa and Britt Baker and that yes. storyline. So they knew what they were doing. And I think they know that most of the internet wrestling community knows what's going on with, you know, the Miro situation. Um, how, you know, the company and him have been kind of at odds lately. So, I mean, they're definitely trying to stir the pot and get people talking. I just, I don't know. I felt like it was kind of a lackluster, um, anticlimactic, you know, re-debut for Miro. I would have much rather see him, like, you know, show up in grander fashion at the end of the day. Yes. So, it is what it is. I get what they're trying to do and everything. And they're really trying to, like, you know, build up this announcement, you know, with a new show. Um, but... I don't know. It just felt it felt kind of wasteful, honestly. I think part of it is I was like secretly hoping that Miro would come out, you know, after one of you know Orange Cassidy's big wins, um, and just decimate him, because um, yeah. it does feel like you know they're leading to Orange like dropping that title to like you know someone huge. And I think in my own head, can and I just had it, you know, being a case of like Orange being exhausted after a match and then Miro coming out, you know, making a surprise return and like challenging him right then and there and Orange just being a fighting champion accepting and like just losing the belts like in like 30 seconds to Miro. Um you know, and just kind of reestablishing Miro as a monster. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. It is what it is. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him, you know, go after that belt sooner than later, though. It just feels mm -hmm. like that belt is a perfect fit for him. Yeah, as long as they don't introduce, you know, five more titles on the collision show, then yeah, yeah. he will be going after that title. Yeah, I mean, that is a fear of mine, right? I mean, mm -hmm. Tony does love himself a belt, right? <laughs> Especially a brand new shiny belt. So, yes. yeah. Uh, here's to hoping that doesn't happen. Well, that does it for this week. As a friendly reminder, make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're there, leave a five star review. It really helps new listeners to find the podcast and for us to continue to grow. Also, if you like the stories from this week's episode and want to keep up to date with the show, follow us on social media at Amazing Nerd Show or stop by the AmazingNerdShow.com. And hey, to support the show further and get additional weekly content, you can subscribe to us now on Patreon. Just follow the link in the show notes. Also, if you want to rep some Nerd Show swag, you can head over to TeePublic.com to find t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional Nerd Show swag as long as you live in the United States. All right, make sure to join us next week as we talk all the latest news and rumors in nerd culture and whatever's going on in the world of wrestling. My name's Christian. And my name's David. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show. Dated a jowl for a while. They're quite furry. 
recovery free.